Sports talk with a little bit of an edge. Can you feel the tension in the air right now? I know I can. I can feel it all the way down in my plums. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. The Buckos, more like the Buckos, because they suck lately. Four and six in their last ten, five games out of a wild card. Six teams are now in front of the Pirates for the second wild card. Things ain't going well. They got Archer. They got the other guy whose name I can't pronounce. They'll be in a good position for next year, but they are teetering on the edge of irrelevance yet again, which means that the Pirates, by my count, were relevant for only two days of the 2018 Major League Baseball season. The All-Star day after the pardon me, trade deadline, the trade deadline. That was it. That's it. That's the list. Those are the times where they were relevant. Because since the deals, they've not played good baseball. Since they haven't played good baseball, they've fallen out of contention. Ish. Not relevant. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter, at underscore Adam Crowley. Tell your kids, tell your wife, we doing radio up in here. No Brian LaMartina sitting across from me. He will be back tomorrow. We've got shirtless Tom beyond the glass. The NFL has a problem on its hands. Well, many of them. Uh, including players kneeling down, President of the United States not being afraid to take out NFL players via Twitter, not afraid to take out Roger Goodell via Twitter. That's a problem. Uh, the catch rule, they've revised that. That's not as much of a problem as you thought maybe it would be. Either way, they've got a lot of problems. But here's a problem that we can all see coming, and that's the NFL leading with the helmet rule. It is going to cause major confusion in year one. And it's going to affect games. It's going to affect how many people watch, and it's going to affect the outcome of games. Here's the rule. Anytime a player lowers his head, an offensive player, there will be a a penalty. Or a defensive player, pardon me. There will be a penalty. Now, for offensive players, it's different. A quarterback can still put his head down during a sneak, and a running back can plow forward for extra yardage as long as those players are using their heads for protection and not to initiate contact with defenders. The question is, how in the world can intent be determined? Why do we keep doing that? Why do we keep making intent part of it? Why? How in the bleeping hell can you disseminate that? That's where it gets hard. That's where you have your problems. That's where you run into trouble. If a guy lowers his head and blows through a defensive player, you have to determine whether or not there's intent. So I'm guessing when the score is close and the game is late, there's no intent there. But I'm guessing when it's early in the score or the score is not close, if a guy lowers his helmet, oh, well, okay, there is intent. I don't like that one bit. Now, Tim Benz wrote an interesting piece for TribLive.com for Breakfast with Benz saying that he hopes that there's carnage with this this year and there's confusion and this becomes a major talking point and because of it, the NFL revises it. 
Okay, I get that now that the rule's in place. My preferred route would be for this rule to never have been in place. You've already got penalties for contact to the head for defenseless receivers. You've got penalties for lowering with the crown of your helmet. Keep those, and that's it. How many times do we see offensive players injure defensive players by lowering their head? I mean, Tom, am I being out to lunch here? Does that happen very often? I don't think so. No, not really. I don't think so at all. On a quarterback sneak, you're going to call a penalty if he tries to plow ahead with his head? Like, that's going to hurt someone? Give me a stinking break. So that would be my preferred route. Now, the NFL, of course, has to protect itself from eventual lawsuits. The NFL has to make sure that they're not getting sued by players who say that the league didn't do enough to protect them. But I think that the league has enough already in their favor where they can say we have. I think the league can point to those kind of rules. I think the league can point to kickoff rules that they've changed. I think the league can point to rules where quarterbacks can't be hit the same way and say, you know, we have taken proactive steps here. I don't think you needed to add something else. Maybe you tried to fix the things that you did have. Maybe try to improve upon them. But I don't think you need to add another rule. And that's what this does in my opinion. It adds a rule. It adds confusion. It doesn't need to be there. I think it's unnecessary. And I'm all for player safety. But you also can't bastardize the game. Football is violent. That's why people like it. And I've often said that players, yes, they have a choice, sort of, but a lot of them come from not great home lives, and some of them don't have a choice. Some of them need to play professional football. Else, What else would they do? Uh, it's the way to get to college for a lot of these kids. So, I don't necessarily believe that. That being said, you can only do so much. Keep being proactive, but be proactive correctly. And then again, the issue for me becomes intent. How in the F can you judge intent? This gives the referees the leeway to call it when they want to and not call it when they don't want to. I don't think offensive players should be subjected to this. I don't think offensive players should get in trouble for lowering their head. I don't think that the intent ever is for them to use their head as a weapon. You lower your head, and you lower your shoulder, try to bust through contact, but running backs are supposed to maintain their low center of gravity. That's not trying to hurt people with your head. That's just trying to stay low. Now, defensive players could probably make a similar argument. Well, I'm not launching with my head. Well, okay, you got to be a little bit more careful. you got to be a little bit more careful. Because you are the aggressor here. You have to put this guy on the ground. You could also do it without trying to blow him up. You could do it with your standard wrap and fall to the ground tackle. You don't have to try to get on SportsCenter Top 10. You don't have to do the Madden truck stick. There's a difference, I think, between the way the offense plays and the defense plays. But I have a huge problem with it being subjective. I don't like that. In the National Hockey League, I've always said, if a guy hits a guy in the head, call a penalty. I don't care about the intent. If a guy hits a guy in the head, spend him. I don't care about the intent. Intent should matter in terms of the length of suspension. I can get behind that. But if you're trying to eliminate headshots from any sport, make it, make it hit to the head illegal. Now, if the offensive player drops his head in football into the path of a defensive player, yeah, it sucks. But the defensive player still needs to break down and make a play and not hit him in the head. And if it's a penalty, it's a penalty. It's fine. I just don't like the subjective nature. I think that's where you make it messy. I think that's what the problem is. That's what leads to to discussion. Like the catch rule. The catch rule becomes subjective. Well, what's it mean if he survived the ground? 
Well, we don't flipping know. Uh, no one has any clue. And the referees discuss it, and they'll make the call one way. Or in the Jets game against New England, they'll make the call the other way. And the other examples last year where it did go the opposite way, the Jesse James catch. This way, if intent matters, then for an offensive player, but intent doesn't matter for a defensive player, aren't we blurring the lines here? Aren't we going to make football fans now start to look at tackling the same way we looked at the catch? But catching the football is part of the game. But you can't have football without tackling. You can hand the ball off every single play and still be playing football. You can't not tackle and have football. It'd be flag football. It's just totally different. So if on every single play, you can now start to ask whether or not there was intent by the offensive player to injure by dropping the helmet, aren't we changing football fundamentally in a negative fashion? Aren't we making football a game that's going to be discussed for whether or not this tackle was legal or this lowering of the head was legal as opposed to just watching the game itself? Imagine every play being the catch rule. That's what we're looking forward to this year. That stinks. And maybe, Benz, you'll be right. Perhaps there will be carnage, and I hope that carnage winds up with this rule being revoked. But if I could have it my way, just don't institute the rule altogether. They were getting safer as is. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. We'll talk about this with Ray Fittipaldo coming up in nine minutes here on the Crowley Show. And we'll also talk to him about the Steelers linebackers and the defensive philosophy with all the safeties that they've drafted. Before we get to Ray, Ohio State has indicated that they will conclude their investigation into the program and into Urban Meyer in two weeks. They have a self-imposed deadline. How does a predetermined deadline help anybody other than Urban Meyer or Ohio State University? There might be other people out there with this take, but I haven't heard it, and maybe it's because I haven't been paying attention enough. But doesn't the fact that Ohio State puts this deadline down kind of make you think that the investigation is going to be disingenuous? Doesn't it make you think that, oh, we're going to rush through this just so we can get done in two weeks? That's the only thing I thought of. There are a lot of people out there that say, oh, Ohio State's really doing well here. They've suspended their coach. They've implemented a interim coach, and they're legitimately investigating into whether or not this is a fireable event. Yeah, I don't think that's the way it's going to go. I think the reason that they put this two-week deadline there is so that Urban Meyer can get back for the last couple of weeks of fall camp, so that Urban Meyer can be out there communicating with his quarterback, so that Urban Meyer can be out there talking about game plans prior to their first game of the season. I'm a West Virginia football junkie. I'm an absolute freaking loser. So I was watching the Dana Holgerson press conference yesterday, and he said, we will start preparing for Tennessee two weeks before the Tennessee game. That's the first game of the season. I would be willing to bet Ohio State does the same thing. Two weeks before the first game, they start game planning for that first game. You know who's going to be there? Urban freaking Meyer. You know why he's going to be there? Because they've put a two-week deadline. You know how hard it is to prove something in two weeks? Yeah, probably pretty hard. I feel like the investigation should go a little bit deeper than that. How long, I wonder, was Brett McMurphy working on all this? How long did it take him to pull all that together? I don't know. Maybe he did it quickly. He's a pretty damn good journalist. But I think Ohio State University is going to have a hard time finding dirt on Urban if they're only looking for two weeks. I think it's bull. I think it's nonsense. They don't want to find anything. And when you go into an investigation, I think you need to be looking to find it. Now, you don't want to manufacture it. 
You don't want it to become like Deflate Gate, where they say there was a preponderance of evidence, meaning 51% of your belief system needs to be that this is going down for you to move ahead with the actions. I don't think you need to go in and say, we need to find something on Urban, but I do think you need to go in thinking there might be something here. Let's let's assume that there is and then move that way. Well, that's not what they're going to be doing. What they're going to be doing is, all right, let's wrap this thing up in two weeks. Our investigation found that Urban Meyer did nothing breaching of the contract. Uh, he will now rejoin the football team as we prepare for our opening game against, I don't know, Youngstown University State of the Blind. Got a game prep for them. Got a game plan for them. Yeah, I think it's BS. I think it's nonsense. I think I saw right through it. Don't know if anyone else did. The crowd man did. The crowd man always does. I also don't know if I made any sense when talking about the football head contact rule, which is kind of part of the problem. I'm speaking for 12 minutes about it, and I don't even know what I said. So when you're watching, do you know what you're watching? No, that's going to be a problem. We'll talk to Ray Fittipaldo about that coming up next. And I'll get his thoughts on what's gone down at Steelers training camp thus far. You're listening to The Crowley Show. Sports talk with a little bit of an edge. Can you feel the tension in the air right now? I know I can. I can feel it all the way down in my plums. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Finally, we'll have a football game to talk about coming up on Thursday night, albeit preseason game number one. I'm still very much looking forward to it. Joining us now to talk about all things training camp and the article he wrote today for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, he is our friend Ray Fittipaldo. What's up, Ray? Not too much, Adam. Enjoying your day off? I am, and I appreciate you taking the time to join us on your day off. Back at it tomorrow, although it's the only day up until the weekend where there is practice to cover, so that's not all that bad. Uh, I am interested in what you wrote today uh, for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette um, about the Steelers in the secondary and that they've been practicing at times with seven players in the secondary, no linebackers on the field. Um, how much of that do you think we're going to see this year, and how much of a shift in philosophy do you think we might see from this club? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, they're probably going to debut that. Um, in second and third and long situations, I don't think you want to be in that defense uh, with seven lighter players when it's, you know, third and five or less. Uh, because, you know, some teams that can run the ball effectively will, will take advantage of that. So, you know, for right now, I think that's a second and third and long, um, you know, type of defense. And, um, you know, it is a significant shift. Um you know, they're still going to have two inside linebackers in their base, but I think if you look at the way they've drafted and who they've signed as free agents, you know, there's a little bit of a, um, a change in personnel. You know, Terrell Edmonds um, is big enough to play that hybrid position. We know that Morgan Burnett uh, did that uh, when he was with Green Bay, and then you have guys, smaller guys, like Mike Hilton and Cam Sutton who couldn't switch back and forth between corner and safety. So, They've got a lot of different chess pieces, and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to see what Keith Butler wants to do here starting Thursday night against the Eagles. I don't think we're going to get the full um, picture of what he wants to do until the regular season, but we might get a sneak peek during one of these preseason games. Ray, I wonder how much we're going to see 
as you mentioned, two linebackers even on the field. Of course, in their 3-4 we will, but I wonder how much they'll play of that, and then I wonder once they come away from it, I mean, dime situations, um, nickel situations, I just wonder how much we'll see of it. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly going to be something to watch, Adam. Um, you know, it was in my story today, but, you know, once Ryan Shazier went out of the lineup and they had to go with Sean Spence for the final, oh, I think it was three, four games last year, um, teams that had running quarterbacks took advantage of them. And teams that could run the ball overall, even with the running backs, um, you know, took advantage of the Steelers. So, um you know, it's they need better inside linebacker play than what they had at the end of last season. I think they're confident that Jonathan Bostick can be um, better than, than Sean Spence was, probably much better. But, you know, we have to see Jonathan Bostick go out there and do it. And, you know, Vince Williams is getting older, and we have to see that, you know, he's still the Vince Williams of old. I, I, you know, going into it, Adam, I, I think they're okay with their first two inside linebackers. I would just be a little bit worried. You know, if they, if one of those guys got hurt and then we were into the LJ Forts and the Tyler Matakaviches and, you know, I think there might be an issue then, but, you know, for as much as they're going to play 3-4, I think Bostick and Williams will be just fine. Ray, how much are you concerned about the health of Antonio Brown right now? I mean, is there anything to be overly concerned about? Uh, it's a little bit odd. Um, Adam, as you know, you're up there almost every day and, the injured players, um, a lot of the times they're on the field. If they're not on the field, they're working out at St. Vincent inside doing their rehab. And we haven't seen Antonio Brown for the last four or five days. Um, it seems like he's off campus. Um, he didn't show up at the night practice, um, you know, where there's a lot of fan engagement. Uh, on Friday night, he canceled uh, my public appearance today at Children's Hospital uh, for an unknown reason. So, it seems a bit odd, um, but all we can do right now, Adam, is go off of what Mike Tallman has, has been telling us. And every time we ask him, he says it's minor and it's a day-to-day type of thing. And um, and that's really all we can go off of right now. But it does; it's starting to smell a little bit odd. And if he's, if he's not back out there um, tomorrow, I'm, I'm not even talking about practicing. I mean, he's, he's not going to play Thursday, but if he's not around this week, um, if he's not on that flight on, on Wednesday, then, yeah, I, I think uh, the Steelers are probably going to have to start providing some answers. Are you hearing any rumors about what it could be, lower body, upper body? No, I mean, he was out there doing some exercises. The one practice that he did go to, um, just in street clothes, uh, he was doing some exercises on the side where it looked like he was maybe working his, his lower body. Um, there's been some speculation out there that he's dealing with a quad injury. Um, you know, so based off of what he was doing the day after he got injured, it didn't seem like it was all that bad, but he just, we haven't seen him since. So there's a whole lot of guessing right now. And, um, listen, uh, they've given Antonio Brown free reign to, um, you know, sort of train on his own before maybe he's just rehabbing on his own until he feels good about it with, with his own people. Um, but we haven't received any answers from the Steelers. That's what he's doing. All we know is he's been absent for four or five days now, and everyone is sort of you know, wondering where he is. And I'm sure you've noticed, Adam, he's sort of gone dark on social media too, which is out of character for him. So um, that's a little bit strange as well. Yeah, it definitely is. And not to belabor the point, but him not being out there in front of 10,000 screaming fans on Friday Night Lights, even just to be out there and uh, wave his hands around and, 
uh, get the people to fawn over him. I mean, that just struck me as odd too. Uh, Ray Fittipaldi. Yeah, that's yeah, that's his. That's his. Uh, that's Antonio Brown. That's what he loves. So, yeah, I think you're right. Rudolph's looked better the last couple of practices. No. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think he's going to play well in the game. Um, you know, as long as the Steelers um, give him a chance in front of the first or second team offensive line. I think you'll see Mason Rudolph do a lot of good things. Um, you know, it, it, it's not a concern, but if you put him behind the third-string offensive line and guys who aren't going to be here or even on the practice squad in a month, then you, you know, you're probably not going to see the best of Mason Rudolph or the best of Josh Dobbs or or Landry Jones for that matter. So, um, I, I want to see him with good personnel on the field. Um, you know, I would like to see him behind a, a good offensive line and throwing to some good receivers. I don't think that's going to happen uh, very much as far as the receivers go on, on Thursday because we're not going to see Antonio Brown. I doubt we're going to see Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, you know, so maybe he'll feel comfortable throwing to James Washington and, you know, some of the other receivers who um, who have caught his balls in camp. But um, I'm anxious to see him. I, I think he's going to be a really good player. Um, you could only tell so much from practice. I, I think he's been good in practice, but I want to see all these guys in games because, as you know, as you know, it's it's different when you go into a stadium and the lights go on. It's it's a different level. It's a step up in competition, and you know, all these guys, whether they've had great camps or bad camps, they're going to have a chance to go out and and show the coaches what they can do in these games starting Thursday night. Speaking of good camps, I think James Connors looked great. He has. Uh, he looks quick. Um, uh, the pass protection is better. Um, even when you watch him in, in backs on backers, his technique is very good. He's got very good hand usage. Um, it looks like he, he he's going to know when to pick these guys up this year. I think, you know, in that Jacksonville game, uh, the regular season one that everyone points to because he caused an interception, it looked like it was more of a recognition thing, um, less so than his willingness to stick his nose in there or technique, if you get what I'm saying. So I think being in year two, I think, you know, the recognition and knowing the full playbook is going to help him. And I, I think that he'll be fine if, if, if they need him to fill in. You know, the hope is that Le'Veon Bell is healthy for, for 16 games and he's got 400 touches and, you know, James Conner gets about as many touches as last year because that's probably what's going to be best for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But if Le'Veon Bell has any health issues or, you know, anything else happens. I, I think James Conner um, is trending towards being a very good backup. What's your level of concern for the outside linebackers being missing the time that they have, T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree? Yeah, I mean, that's that's not a good situation. Um, at this point, you might as well hold them out Thursday night, yeah. even if one of them comes back Tuesday. And, you know, hopefully they could jump back in on Saturday when they're back at St. Vincent and, you know, there won't be any issues, but, you know, even, you know, I, I have, I don't have any issues with TJ Watt. I think he's going to be fine on the left side. Obviously we have to see, but he's got to produce. I'm a little bit concerned about the depth behind those guys. Yes. Um, should one of those guys get hurt? Is Anthony Ciccolo, is he going to be good enough to be a long-term starter if one of those guys goes down? Uh, and then after that, you're, you know, you're looking at Keon Adams, who's never played in the league and, even though uh, number 92, uh, Ola Ademiyi, I hope I'm pronouncing that <laughs> right, even though Ola's having a good camp, let's just call him by his first name, 
Um, he's 20 years old, and he's he's also an undrafted rookie. So I, I think they got some good developmental players in the system that um, I think they probably prefer to have on the practice squad this year. I'm just a little bit concerned, you know, about what's, what's behind Watt Dupree and then Chickawell. Yeah, I couldn't agree more about that. Uh, I think that scares you a lot, and just like you mentioned with inside linebackers, so all the way down the line. I don't feel that bad about the line, the defensive uh, line depth, though. I mean, I think you, you like your first three guys. you got Tyson Alualu. Uh, you got LT Walton, who I think they like. Uh, beyond that, I can't believe McCullers is, what, going into his fifth friggin' season now? I mean, how the hell is that guy stuck around in the league for as long as he has? I mean, it just... It doesn't make sense to me. And then they get Frazier, who who comes in. I mean, the depth there doesn't scare me all that much. Obviously, if you lose one of your big two, you're you're kind of screwed. But uh, it's not terrible. No, I mean, Tyson Alvaro is a good fourth defensive yeah. line. He's a good top reserve. Um, I, I think LT is fine as long as he's got limited snaps. I don't know who the sixth guy is going to be, Adam. Uh, I don't think it's going to be McCullers in that practice on Sunday afternoon. Uh undrafted rookie, I believe he's a rookie, Parker Collins. He might be a first-year guy. He put Frazier on his back in a run drill. Um, so Josh Frazier hasn't showed me much. Um, you know, that might be a position that they might have to address after final cutdowns. Maybe they go out and get somebody they like better than someone who's in camp right now. Um, yeah, there's. I, I think they're fine as long as they don't have a major injury, a long-term injury, but you know, that sixth guy, There's nobody is sticking out to me right now for the first couple of weeks of camp. Before Bud Dupree got hurt, I think he had a really good practice against Chooks, which makes me a little worried about that guy and what he can do in his rookie season. Uh, you want to talk about depth. Tackle depth is scary, I think, right now. Yeah, and they're probably going to have to make a trade or wait till final cutdowns. I don't know what you're going to get in final cutdowns. Their best bet might be... You know, target some team that has a little bit of depth to tackle and, you know, make, you know, trade a sixth or seventh rounder for a guy. Um, you know, Okorafor is going to be a really good player in this league. Yeah. He's got everything that you want in a left tackle. He's got the size. He's got the wingspan. He's athletic. He's got the feet. He just doesn't have the experience. And he came late to football. It would just be asking an awful lot for a 20 year old kid. I think he turns 21 this week, actually. For a 21-year-old with limited football experience to to have that job on a football team because we know it's so important. Knowing what happened to, to Marcus Gilbert last year and then a couple of years ago Beecham, it's it's just such an important position on a on a football team that I don't want to, I don't think you want to put that on a rookie, and that wouldn't speak to his potential at all because I think he's potential starter um, in the not too distant future. Um, but I do think they need to address that. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, after the first, maybe after the second preseason game, that they make a trade. And if not, almost certainly they'll do something after final cutdowns. Last couple of things here for Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. The NFL's leading with the helmet rule, I think, is going to just be messy as all get out. A couple of years ago, whenever they were trying to make a more strict illegal contact penalty, uh, call it more by the rule book. We saw a bunch of flags in the preseason, and then there weren't as much as the preseason in the regular season. I'm hoping that's going to be the case here with the NFL leading with the helmet rule, but uh, I just I think whenever you're trying to judge intent, things like that nature, Ray, I think it just gets so messy, and I think it's going to make the game pretty tough to watch if we're going to see a whole bunch of flags. 
Yeah, I mean, we've been warned. Art Rooney told the Post-Gazette, Seb Bouchette, that, uh, you know, we're going to see more flags in the preseason and maybe even early in the regular season. And, you know, my fear is that the officials are, they've been asked to make these calls. And my fear is they're going to make a call because it looks bad and then it's going to go to replay and, or it's going to be shown on the replay, but, you know, you can't change that call because it's, it's a judgment call. So 15 yard penalties in close football oh. games, those are huge. And I think you're going to see a lot of controversy that this year, at least early in the season until they can get this ironed out. I would almost rather them adjudicate these hits with fines and possible suspensions after the fact. I don't want these officials on the field to be completely responsible for this rule. I, I think it's almost better that, hey, if it looks really bad and you know it, call it. But if not, let's let the league office deal with it later in the week. But I don't get the sense that that's going to happen. I think the onus is going to be on the on-field officials, and I think that's trouble. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good idea by you, Ray. I mean, you, you allow the flow of the game. But what what I see happening is it's – fourth and inches right and it's late in the game tie game close game what have it and a quarterback lunges forward and plows a defensive player over with his head and a quarterback sneaking all of a sudden nope just kidding it's fourth and friggin 15 as as opposed to fourth and inches and oh boy now we got a longer field goal we're punting and it'll be it's going to be the jesse james thing all over again problem is you know, those catches don't happen that frequently. Maybe once a game, maybe once every couple of games. You're going to see this all the time. The frequency of this is, is what's going to make it so frustrating, I think. And the fact that all 22 players on the field are going to be Great scrutinized. Point. So you could have an, an offensive lineman executing a cut block, and if his eyes are looking at the field and his head is uh, you know in a linear line that they're looking for, to make that call, they can put, potentially call David DeCastro for executing a cut block or a fullback for putting his head in the, into the center of the chest of, uh, you know, Vontez Burfecht or, or somebody else. I mean, you know, it, it's going to be such a hard thing. It's, uh, you know, I hope that the officials um, come to realize how difficult this is going to be and, you know, maybe they, they just call the obvious ones. That's my hope, but I got a feeling it's going to go the other way, Adam, and I'm not – I'm not looking too too forward to it. Nor am I, buddy. Hey, appreciate you taking some time on your day off. Maybe I'll see you up at camp tomorrow. All right. Sounds good. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks a lot. Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post. Because that, that's a good point. I mean, if you've got a receiver who's juggling a football and goes to the ground, okay, you got to make a call there, right? But if you've got 22 sons of bitches that you're watching on every single freaking play, oh, you could call it on every play. Oh, he lowered his head. What if he stumbled? I mean, what if he's trying to push the guy with his shoulder and your head moves? Oh, it's going to be horrendous. Oh, it's going to be so bad. In the preseason game that we're in for on on Tuesday, I'm doing post game. Tom's working the board. Oh, we're going to be here till 4 in the morning. Oh, it's going to be so damn long. Oh, it's going to be horrific. couple house cleaning items I got to get to. Shirtless Tom, you can follow him on Twitter at ButtonPusher970. NHL Network tweeted out, in case you missed it, here are our top 20 centers in the league right now. And Tom, being Tom, said, sucks to suck, Ovechkin. And people are idiots. He does suck, but he's a winger, bro, not a center. 
You know he's not a center, right? Guys. Guys. Look, that's the point, guys. Guys. He's that's that's a list he'll never get on. That accolade being the number one center in the league, he'll never receive that honor. And I, I just think I should bring that into attention. But not not many people bring light to the fact that he will never be the best center in the NHL at any point. Crosby's been it for what, like ten years? <laughs> Rank Pete tweets at underscore Adam Crowley. He should be sending this to you at button pusher nine seventy. Based on his Ray Lewis impression, Tom's earned the nickname Ebonics Top. Little black voice there, Tom. No. Be careful now. No. You got to be careful now. Why aren't you allowed to imitate Ray Lewis without it being racist, though? That's the question. Like, why can't I do it? Ray Lewis can imitate me. It's fine. Is that the road I want to go down? Probably not. Probably not? Nah. Probably not. The ceiling is the roof. Why can't I do that? Why can't I say that? Coming up next, it's the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. You're listening to The Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Now, here's everybody's favorite millennial. Adam Crowley (laughs) on ESPN Pittsburgh. Oh, man, I got to retweet this. Oh, my God. I'm retweeting a guy from the fan, but I don't care because the Mighty Ducks goalie, Goldberg, is 39 years old now. And he was arrested for public intoxication. And you got to see this picture. I mean, his life is awful. It's horrendous. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. I don't even know what to say. He looks like a 65-year-old guy who got busted with cocaine. Tom, are you seeing this yet? Go on my go oh, on yeah, Twitter.com. Add underscore Adam Crowley. Get out there. Everyone's got to see this right now. If you're a hockey fan, if you're a Mighty Ducks fan, come on. Come on. Take a look. Right now. Everyone who's listening to the show right now, go on Twitter. Add underscore Adam Crowley. And look at what I just retweeted. Oh, no. Oh, Goldberg. no. How did he get so skinny? Cocaine! He looks like hell! He looks like hell. He's got spots on his face. He's got a beard. He looks gaunt. I mean, the guy's guy's just in dire straits. You can, like, see his collarbone. It's, like, popping out of his body because it's just so disgustingly, sickingly skinny. How old was he when that movie was shot? I mean, probably, what, 12, 13? Yeah, he has to be around there. 15, maybe. So we're talking about 26-ish years later. And he's aged 55 years. That's not supposed to happen. And we are stopping the proceedings. We are stopping the show in its tracks right now to talk about this poor guy. Here's what happened. Got arrested in Northern California. Sources tell TMZ the 39-year-old was busted for public intoxication around 1 a.m. in California, about an hour north of Sacramento. We're told cops cut him a break after he spent a few hours in the drunk tank. He was released and not cited. What? So wait a second. Does he just drop? Does he just drop? Yo, I was Goldberg and Mighty Ducks. 
he can't do that because no one's going to believe that that's Goldberg. He looks nothing like Goldberg right now. He just waxes poetic about the knuckle puck. No one would believe that. You could have given me a hundred guesses as to who that man is, and I never would have said it was Goldberg. Stop it. That's the wrong guy. That's the wrong Sean Weiss. And I don't want to laugh. But if I don't, I'll cry. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. There's more here. Ah, uh, shoot. I was wrong, Tom. It wasn't cocaine. Sean was also arrested a year ago for possession of meth. Yeah, that makes sense. It it looks a lot like meth now. But it's okay because that arrest only came five days after he'd been sentenced to 150 days in jail for stealing $151 worth of stuff from an electronics store. That is the worst I've ever seen someone who looks 39 years old look. Someone who is 39 years old. That's the worst I've seen them look. That is unflipping believable. I can't even speak. Believable. I'm beleaguered. Holy crap. I don't know. Where do, where do we go with anywhere with the show? Uh, what time is it, Tom? And now it's time for the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. Sometimes in life, life stops because of something you see. And that's one of those moments. We all remember where we were during some of the tragic days in our country's history. And we all remember where we were during some of the most important days in our lives, history, and in our country's history. I'm never going to forget those last four rambling minutes on the Crowley Show where I found out that Goldberg from Mighty Ducks did meth, robbed the store from 151 bucks, and then got a DUI. I'm never going to forget where I was. Anyway, it's a great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. The Browns traded Corey Coleman just two years after he was drafted, was a first-round pick. It's happened before. Shocker, Cam Irving traded in two years. Danny Shelton traded in three years. Johnny Manziel cut in two years. Justin Gilbert traded in two years. Barkevius Mingo traded in three years. Brandon Whedon cut in two years. Trent Richardson traded in one year. Don't do drugs, kids. I mean, seriously. I mean, look at look at the fall from grace that this poor Sean Weiss took. I mean, from child actor who was fat, who played hockey, to that, that's drugs for you. That's meth. That's what methamphetamine does to you. It kills your life. It ruins it. But the Browns' first-round picks, they've been terrible. I don't know where to go. Miles Garrett. I think he has a chance to be one of the best defensive players in the league. So I think Cleveland's moving in the right direction there. I do like Baker Mayfield, but there are other picks I would have made at that time. Lamar Jackson, I think, can be as good, if not better, than Baker Mayfield, and yet he goes late in the first round. They could have made a pick. They had a couple of picks there, and they just did what they always do. They are a disgrace, and I think the plan's a good one. You gather draft picks, you make as many of them as possible, and that's how you really can rebuild the NFL the way that they rebuild Major League Baseball. We don't see a lot of teams do that. Well, I'm going to trade everything for draft picks, and we'll see where it goes. A couple of years ago, about 50% of the Browns' roster 
was rookies. It was insane. Bunch of draft picks and a bunch of undrafted guys. That's a good strategy, but you have to draft well. You have to scout well. John Gruden knocked Martavis Bryant and says he needs to play better. That's a good trade for the Steelers as they look to move past the distractions. And the way Mason Rudolph has looked in his last couple of practices as compared to the first couple of practices, he could wind up being, as they think, their next franchise guy. Not saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but Mason Rudolph, you get him for the draft pick you traded. Martavis Bryant for pretty darn good. I got to get out of this segment. I'm in mourning. I'm stunned. Brandt tweets, how is this Goldborg? It's definitely not knuckle puck time anymore. At underscore Adam Crowley. I'm devastated. Shocked. This The drug epidemic is killing the country. Coming up next, the Buckos. More like the Buckos. Because they suck right now. Woo! It's a Crowley show.